Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is dedicated to the life and memory of Jim Myers, otherwise known as George the Animal Steel. I don't know if you have a legacy in the wrestling business. I really don't. My legacy is I was a pretty good coach. I helped a lot of kids get through school. Uh, I helped a lot of people in that way. My legacy now is uh, so far removed from wrestling that, uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, my, my, I, the reason I wrote the book was that, was that was the end of wrestling for me. And I think I covered it pretty well in the book. I get a lot of... A lot of people are really enjoying the book. They're understanding about the learning disabilities that I had and uh, overcoming Crohn's and uh, uh, fighting as a kid, uh, being picked on. I was, people bullied me until my parents finally told me I could fight, and then that was my first success because of the learning disabilities and, and uh, getting into Michigan State without being a very good student, but getting through there and coming out more of a polished uh, stone and uh, the growth that I've had, the, the marriage I've had, my family and my kids. That, that's 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 my you know, my kids are now fifty years, sixty years old. You know what I mean? That's that's my legacy. I'm still married. <laughs> that's a legacy in wrestling. Savage running from Georgia. Oh, he pulled. It. I can't believe he even stooped so low. What a brilliant maneuver! Look at look at look at look at Steele trying to manhandle Elizabeth. He was not trying to manhandle her at all. I think he was trying to. But again, Steele was distracted by Elizabeth. Oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wooker Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there, this is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid I... They knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. 
Right now, my name is uh, the underboss, Bad Luck Fale. I'm the, the, the bad guy, so I'm the number one heel in the company, so I get to cheat and do whatever I want. <laughs> Man, I have a finisher called the uh, Bad Luck Fall, where I toss the guy. I think it's the most devastating one so far. two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at passpros.com head on over to passpros.com for autographs and signed memorabilia direct from over 100 former professional athletes and every former pro either sells items from their own collection or signs your items for a nominal fee and when you buy direct from a former pro on passpros.com you know that authenticity is guaranteed and in addition to that you can head on over to passpros.com slash wrestling and find exclusive deals for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling for all the autograph events that we have upcoming in the calendar year of 2017 including the huge icons of wrestling and comic book collector fest in philadelphia pennsylvania on april 17th featuring our guest Eric Bischoff and Sean Waltman and tickets are available right now. And if you cannot attend, we encourage you to pick up mail order items directly from passpros.com. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz and John today on the show, we are joined by a former IWGP intercontinental champion, a former never open weight six man tag team champion, a member of the Bullet Club, the underboss himself, Bad Luck Fale, joins today's program. And this is one, John, I know when it comes to New Japan Pro Wrestling and the stars of New Japan that you go into overdrive when it comes to doing the research and covering all the topics that need to be covered when you talk to somebody that not necessarily a lot of people have either heard from or get the chance to hear from. And this is yet another instance where the two-man power trip of wrestling goes international as we head to New Zealand to talk to Bad Luck Fale. And if you recently heard our interview with Jay White, a lot of references to Bad Luck Fale, who is not necessarily somebody who I'd personally think of as a guy who's going to take somebody under their wing the way that he did Jay White, but he really helped Jay White break into the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo, and now Fale himself is running his own dojo, and this is something that I definitely think needs to be heard, but when you think of Bad Luck Fale, this is a guy who, just seeing him in the physical form is intimidating enough, but when you throw him into a group like the Bullet Club, that over the last few years, the Bullet Club has been the most talked about faction in professional wrestling. Obviously, when you think of Finn Balor, 
a.k.a. Prince Devitt, you think of AJ Styles, and now Kenny Omega, you think of these superstars that have now been ascending from just a spot on the card to becoming the IWGP champion, in Omega's case, not there just yet, but what they do afterwards and leaving the Bullet Club and leaving New Japan is they go on to become absolute megastars, but they need that cast of characters around them in the Bullet Club to really help just establish that club's dominance. And obviously, Fale has done nothing short of make sure the Bullet Club is taken quite seriously and has a great undertone to it of the underboss, who is an intimidating guy, to say the least. But in his career, he's gone on to do a lot of great things so far, but it's just the beginning. But, John, as I welcome you in here, why don't you talk a little bit more about Bad Luck Valet? Tell us what we have to look forward to in this interview, and really hit some of the highlights, if you can, of what we have to look forward to in a really awesome chat that you had with Bad Luck Valet. Yes, Chad, you know what? This was a really, really fun one, and it's always great to talk to somebody that's in the future. Yes, all the way in New Zealand, 16 hours or so ahead of us, so that is always an interesting one. Obviously, we had on Jay White not that long ago, and now another New Zealander, Bad Luck Valet, a.k.a. the Underboss, a.k.a. the King, a.k.a. the former IWGP Intercontinental Champion. And boy, this was a great one. Obviously, if you're a fan of the show, you listen to the show a lot, follow the show, you know that I am a huge, huge fan of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And anytime we get the chance to interview one of the stars or maybe even talk to Dave Meltzer about New Japan Pro Wrestling, it's always something that really, really is enjoyable to me personally. It's just... Um, the best wrestling in the world. I mean, they're light years ahead of WWE, except for, you know, maybe a few guys like AJ or Samoa Joe, uh, obviously Nakamura included as well. But there's a couple, you know, guys in WWE that kind of can equal the legendary wrestling status of an Okada or a Tanahashi or a Naito or even a Kenny Omega who stepped up his game big time lately. But then you throw in a guy that's had great matches with Nakamura, Tanahashi, Okada, and that is Bad Luck Falay. And you gotta love this guy. I mean, obviously an original member of the Bullet Club. You know, when the Bullet Club first started, it kind of, with uh, Prince Devitt, it was kind of building, 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 and Devitt was basically, uh, excuse me, Falay was basically Devitt's bouncer, and he was kind of like his big bodyguard, and he had that perfect look and he's just so intimidating and obviously he's a massive massive man scary dude for sure obviously former rugby player i've been a, a former you know a big time rugby player at that so you get that you get the original bullet club you get with devitt and then you lose devitt obviously he becomes finn baylor and wb and it's kind of where do you go from there you add aj styles into the mix and the bullet club is bigger than ever you see the t-shirts all over the world and we do talk to Fallet about that how all over the states you were seeing the shirts pop up everywhere I mean you go to an indie show and you see at least 40 50 people wearing a bullet club shirt which is pretty impressive but you know back to Fallet and, and the bullet club obviously when you're an original member of a group you kind of hold more weight and obviously him with his intimidation his size his skill that awesome look that he has kind of holds more weight in the Bullet Club, especially as you start to lose guys to the WB, especially as you start to lose Baylor, then you lose AJ Styles, then you lose Anderson, then you lose Gallows, and it's like, wow, you know, where do you turn, where do you look, and you look at the original members, and you got Bad Luck Fale, 
who's just a beast of a man. He's just, uh, it's awesome. And I just love talking to him about the Bullet Club and, and the, the rise of the Bullet Club and the popularity of the Bullet Club. And is he surprised to see where it is or where it is now or where it was a few years ago with the popularity and the t-shirts and the merchandise and everything else. They basically took New Japan by storm and then took America by storm as well. So it's awesome to get on a guy in New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's awesome to get a guy who was in the original Bullet Club and obviously still in the Bullet Club now. And it's pretty awesome when you can interview a guy and talk about Okada, Tanahashi, and Nakamura and talk about him beating all three of those guys. Pretty damn impressive, pretty awesome. And obviously those are kind of the three top wrestlers in Japan over the last few years or so. Obviously, like I said, Nakamura's in NXT now. But think about Nakamura and the awesome matches he had in New Japan. Think about Tanahashi and the legendary status he's reached in Japan. And think about Okada, probably the greatest wrestler in the world today, putting on six-star matches, five-star matches, whatever you want to say. He's putting on amazing matches. And Fale has been able to have great matches with each and every one of those guys. Most recently had an awesome match with Okada a few months ago, you know, for that uh, for that IWGP title. So pretty amazing stuff. Not a lot of guys can say on their resume they beat the three top Japanese guys over the last couple of years. And not only that, the three top workers over the last couple of years. So love Fale, love this interview. He's such a fun guy. His answers are great. He's uh, always in a good mood. Sometimes you look at him like, man, I don't know if we should be interviewing this guy. He's a little intimidating, but he was nothing but a blast. Great time and uh, looking forward to see more of Fale and the Bullet Club in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, John, we were lucky enough a couple of years ago to interview Tamatanga in what was his first ever interview to talk about anything in his career, let alone just the Bullet Club. And that was two years ago while they were running rough shot through New Japan Pro Wrestling and really starting to ascend over into the States and to see how much the Bullet Club has grown. And I never actually thought that guys like Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows would come to the WWE and then you got, you know, what... Finn Balor has been able to do, and obviously AJ's meteoric rise to what he's done in the WWE since last year. But Bad Luck Fale is still there, and he is dominating the Bullet Club. He is dominating New Japan. A lot of great things to come. But I mentioned the Fale Dojo. Head on over to Facebook.com. Type in the Fale Dojo. Find out everything that you can about what he's doing over there in South Auckland, New Zealand. It is so cool to see that that you got a guy like Fale who's introducing wrestling to New Zealand and the people who want to train now have a really great spot to go. And you can also go to com and you can get information about, hey, if you're in New Zealand and listen to this, attending the Fale Dojo. But get on over to Facebook if you're not in New Zealand and check it out and see what he's doing on there. He goes live with some pretty funny uh, Facebook videos, so... It's definitely worth your time to check it out after this interview, and we want to thank Bad Luck Fale for syncing it up. I do love being the uh, technical producer on these uh, remote broadcasts that we're able to set up, and it's so much fun, and it just adds to the mystique of the two-man power trip of wrestling and the power that we've got as we go global yet again. But, John, as the music starts to creep in, why don't you hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get this one on over to the underboss. Bad luck, fella. And now for some TMPT business. 
Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jerry McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore. If you are a super fan, and you can please check out our page while you're there, you can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. April 22nd, we hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Icons Collectors Fest. Then, May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit the Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. Without any further ado, a former never openweight six-man champion, a former IWGP Intercontinental Champion. You may know him as the King or the Underboss. He is an original member of the Bullet Club in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is Bad Luck Ballet. Please enjoy. Under bows. New Zealand, somewhat in the future. He is a former IWGP Intercontinental Champion. He's a former never-open-weight six-man champion. He is the king. He is the underboss. He is bad luck valet. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. You're welcome. (laughs) Good to be here. Now, you know, the big thing on everyone's mind right now, I don't know if a lot of people are aware 
of what's going on over there in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But obviously, the Bullet Club isn't on this current tour with uh, Fantastic yeah. Mania and all this other stuff. So what is you know your current position with New Japan, and what is going on with the Bullet Club? Uh, my current position is I'm still the on the boss. <laughs> I'm still the guy who uh, uh, portrays the protector of the group, and uh, um, my position in the in the company. Well, um, I'm trying to to uh, branch out and and be part of the uh, um, the organization side of things. But the, the Bullet Club have uh, taken a, a tour off just to regroup and uh, see what goes on from now on. Obviously, coming off of a huge, huge Tokyo Dome show, Wrestle Kingdom 11, possibly, you know, untopped. I don't know if anyone can kind of uh, top that show. What are your kind of feelings coming off of the huge show in the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom? Uh, my feelings are always the same. After every Tokyo Dome, it's it's um, I'm, I'm on a high, and uh, this one in particular wasn't um, uh, how do you say wasn't uh, special for me uh, because every Tokyo Dome has the same same type of um, electrifying uh, uh, feeling. So every year, every Tokyo Dome. I get the same feeling. So even if one match is better than the other or whatever, to me it's all the same. It's always been a huge show. You know, it's basically the, the top of the top. If you know, compared to you know the shows over here in the states, we say it's part of the, you know its biggest WWE WrestleMania. Can you just explain, you know, what's the you know the epic nature of the Tokyo Dome and that huge huge show that New Japan puts on every year? Oh, it's, 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 um, I can't explain it. <laughs> uh, you gotta be there to understand what the, that kind of feeling is. Um, you know, as a wrestler and, and also for the fans, um, for me being the wrestler, I just feel the energy coming out of all the fans who, who come there. And, uh, in the last few years, I've, I've noticed a lot more foreigners turning up to Wrestle Kingdom and that it just adds a little bit more uh, excitement because you know that New Japan and the whole Wrestle Kingdom has has grown so big that you know people people from from uh, Italy from Canada America you know all these people have, have met along the way during uh, the Tokyo Dome it's just crazy which is awesome because it feels like it's getting more and more of a global feel. Back in the day, you know, you have to do some tape trading or buy some stuff online to be able to see Tokyo Dome. Now it's so easily accessible, especially with New Japan World. Are you sensing New Japan kind of growing globally? Oh, of course. Um, once our, uh, our new owners came up, came on board about four or five years ago, um, the first thing he said was he wanted to challenge WWE. And he's never backed down from it. And uh, to see New Japan just expanding, doing shows all over the world now, um, Canada, America, all over Asia, here in New Zealand, uh, over there in England. And I hear plans for this year to do more in Europe. So, you know, uh, the, the global, globalization, 
I want to say that. It's a hard word to say globalization. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, yeah, so New Japan's going global, and uh, I don't feel, I don't see them slowing down. And I feel uh, in a couple more years, uh, WWE is going to have something to uh, be reckoned with. I sure as hell hope so, and it just definitely seems that way. It seems like New Japan always putting on the better in-ring work, and I feel like that's slowly, slowly starting to seep into everybody's mind, especially after Kenny Omega and Okada. Everyone's starting to realize, like, you know, these guys are, uh, you know, it's a top-notch, especially a guy like Okada. I mean, probably, yeah, I, arguably the top wrestler in the world. Yeah, um, I, feel, I feel our product is very different. And uh, I, I also feel that the fans have, uh, you know, been grown too accustomed to the to, to the usual uh, style of wrestling, and because we we are now going abroad and and going uh, global, you know, it's a new type of uh, excitement for people. So when they see that, they uh, they tend to to become uh, fans straight away because. You don't see much of it in, in the current uh, American shows anymore. Definitely. And with New Japan, you always get something a little bit, to me, a little bit better and a little bit different in, in, in their own kind of way. But as far as you and as far as you're concerned, how did you actually get into New Japan Pro Wrestling? Because that just seems like a very hard place to kind of crack into. <laughs> Um, yeah, first of all, it is one of the hardest um, uh, uh, promotions to to get to, even if you are an established wrestler. And um, for me, I was playing rugby in Japan for for six years, and uh, when my career came to an end, um, I, I had no choice uh, but to leave the country. But a friend of mine told me to come along with him to a tryout. And at that time, I didn't know uh, what New Japan was because I only grew up with WWE and uh, WCW and all, all that American uh, promotions. But, you know, I wanted to stay in Japan because uh, I love the country. So I told him I'll come along. So I turned up, tried out, and uh, a couple of days later, they called me and they said uh, I was the only one who made it through from that uh, group of trainees. Well, or trialists. So when when I heard that, I was I was happy to be accepted. But at the same time, I still didn't know what New Japan was. But so a couple of day, days after that, uh, the newspaper found out about it, and they uh, you know a professional rugby player becoming a uh, a wrestler, and not not only that, a wrestler for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and made the news in Japan. So when the news came out. And everybody started calling me, asking me how, how I got in and stuff. That's when I finally uh, decided to, to check it out, uh, look up what New Japan Pro Wrestling was. And uh, I was really surprised to find out how big it was and how famous it was. And, uh, you know, I, I was already in, so I didn't want to give up the chance and uh, just went from there. What was it like transitioning from rugby into professional wrestling? Because that seems like, obviously, you know, two different worlds kind of colliding. But still, with New Japan, it's almost like going from one rough sport to another rough sport. 
Very different. Um, I, had, I had a hard time transitioning, but at the same time, uh, my my athleticism uh, uh, from rugby helped a lot as well. But um, going from one professional sport to, to wrestling, um, you had to readjust the way you think, the way you uh, felt, because when I went, when I started, uh, I had to leave my pride out the door because here I was thinking I was this famous rugby player uh, becoming a, a wrestler. But when, once I got into the dojo, there was a different story. Uh, right, right from the first day, I started um, uh, having to do the laundry and doing chores and, and cleaning the toilets, uh, carrying people's bags and cooking for everyone. So I started right from the first day, uh, I got into New Japan dojo, so uh, you have to kind of swallow your pride, and and if you really want to be in New Japan, you got to start from the bottom. Crazy, it's kind of old school in a way, the way they do their training and the way they bring guys up. Did you kind of mind doing all that extra stuff and kind of humbling yourself in a way? Because you went from professional rugby, where you're a pretty big star there, and then now you're basically humbling yourself completely. Completely to, to that style. Yeah, of course. Uh, it was really hard at first. Um, you know, it, it taught me a lot, also because you know I was I was so big-headed, thinking I was a big rugby player. But uh, when I got there, I was I was uh, pulled down back to earth, and I was humbled. And uh, being able to do all those things that they require you to do as a young boy um, really helped. Not just my career, not just the the way I thought about things, but a lot of things outside of uh, wrestling and rugby. Um, even when I go back to New Zealand, people compliment on the, how respectful and, and and how my manners are, and I owe that all because of you know uh, giving up all the, the the giving up my pride to starting from the bottom, and uh, it, was, it was really hard. Now, who's your main trainer? Was it a guy like Yuji Nagata, who's a huge legend in Japan, or was it somebody else? So, here's the beauty about the New Japan. When you train there, there's not just one guy who trains you, because everybody turns up to, to train at the dojo, which means whoever's there on that day is going to teach you. So, I, I, I started out with uh, Yoshihashi and uh, Okara, they were the two two guys before me, um, so I was the ones that came after them. So they started. I started out with them. They were they were there every single day. Uh, we trained together, but at the same time, every day we would have have a different coach. Um, of course, Nagara Yuji Nagara was there always. Um, Nakanishi Manabu. We had a um, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. We had Tanahashi. We had everybody coming in every day. So. I was fortunate, not, but it wasn't just me. Everybody that starts there, they, they learn from everybody. So you're not only learning from one mind, but you're learning from all the best wrestlers in the world. And uh, one of the toughest uh, guys who taught us how to, how to uh, uh, who taught us at the dojo was uh, Jaro, if you know him from Gero and Jaro. Yes. Oh uh, man, when. When we hear his car pull up, 
you know that day is going to be a hard day. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yeah, they're doing a hell of a job now booking New Japan Pro Wrestling. But, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Nakanishi, another, you know, yes. legend in the business. Obviously, a, a huge guy like yourself. What was it like when you finally got in the ring and were able to wrestle him when you first were basically starting with New Japan? Oh, man, when I debuted against him, uh, at that time, he was one of the top guys. And he was he was respected and feared in the, in the business as being one of the hard-hitting guys in there. And he, he was so 146 kilos, and the way he moved, he was just so quick and stuff. But he was really harsh on me. He was one of the guys who, was, who, was, uh, who pushed me to be... Uh, to be better than I, I, I was. And when I stepped in that ring, uh, he showed me why he was the best and why I needed to get to where he was. And that they proved that uh, after that debut match, I couldn't eat for a week. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy stuff. And also, like, you know, you wrestle Nakanishi, but also, you know, they put the young guys together. They put the young lions together a lot. And a guy who's a huge star right now is Takahashi, who's obviously the, the junior champ. What was it like wrestling him? Because that is a major clash of styles. You guys both basically came up through the dojo together. Yeah, um, that guy, uh, he's, he's the best example of, of never giving up. Because um, he tried out with me when I tried out. And... Um, we tried out together in 2008, and he didn't make that that group. So I didn't get into the dojo on, on, until the, the next uh, tryout they had, and Takashi was on there again. So he made the second with the next one. That's when they lowered the height requirement to um, under one, 180 centimeters. And then when I went into the dojo, we started together. So. Even when I debuted, uh, he still, it took me eight months to debut. And then for him, it took him almost two years. So he never, <laughs> he never gave up on that. But at the same time, he was an apprentice until he left to go to Mexico for another two years, I think. So for him, uh, he, he knew how small he was. He knew uh, uh, how tough it was, but he never gave up. And then look where he is now. He's, uh, he's, he's achieved the stream of becoming the champion. Yeah, big time feud with Kushida. He's the junior champ. He was the time bomb. Pretty big jump for him, obviously. You know, not making it to now making it. Pretty remarkable. Now, as far as you and, and kind of as we go through your run and your career, you obviously end up wrestling Eugene Agata and being part of that Blue Justice Army, but, you know, you're wrestling him as well. What you kind of learn while wrestling a true legend like that? Uh, Eugene Nagata? Yes. Yeah. Um, like, like, for me, every wrestler I come up against, I learn something. Um, Eugene Nagata included. And, oh, man, I just, I just can't list all the things he's taught me. You know, one, one thing for sure, um, in New Japan Pro Wrestling, they teach you how to how to protect yourself uh, properly. So they teach you how to 
how to box, how to kickbox, how to grapple, even before they teach you how to how to uh, uh, wrestle. And and Yuji Nagara, when he'd come in and and, um, and teach us, he he would always bring out the kickboxing side of things. So he would always say, if you don't learn this, you'll go to another promotion. Everybody's gonna try and prove themselves, and what are you gonna do? So he, he taught me that side of thing. Learn learn the the proper martial martial arts side of things, and then worry about the wrestling after. Pretty good, and it's pretty cool that they are teaching you not only wrestling, I mean, they're teaching you everything here. Almost like they're training you for a legitimate fight. Is that something that kind of, you know, leans yourself to really liking that Japanese style? It's much more of a fight, much more realistic? Yeah, of course. Um, like I said, in, in New Japan, you, um, you, uh, that's what why they call it the strong style, because they teach you how to be a, a real fighter before they even teach you how to wrestle. So it's, 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 it's different. That's what, to me, is the difference between New Japan and every other promotion. Because when you get in the ring and wrestle, people really do see a, a real fighter. And uh, don't get me wrong, if anybody, everybody that belongs to New Japan can kick your ass hmm. if you uh, beat them the wrong way. Hmm. I believe it. There's so many uh, legit tough guys <laughs> over there for sure. Now they end up sending you on a you know somewhat of an excursion to the U.S. for a little bit. What was your time like here? Because you haven't really spent too much time in the states, or or am I wrong, or have you? <laughs> um, they sent me on my excursion back in 2012, so I was I was in America for one whole year, and and I was based out in St. Louis, uh, Missouri, and over there I was based. Deal with uh, David Richards, Tony Cozina, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, and uh, a couple of other guys. But over there, that's that's where I was based, and we, we did a few shows there, and uh, mostly in Chicago. I did one down in Austin, Texas. But uh, it was hard for me to accept or go around and do matches because I found uh, most promoters only used me as a squash match. <laughs> and the whole reason of me being in America was to learn learn more uh, wrestling. But uh, I found uh, I found that uh, my skill level would go down if I was training or doing matches in America. So I just kept to myself and trained hard with uh, Davey and his crew, and then came back to Japan and and went from there. So did you enjoy your time in the United States? Oh, man, I, I definitely want to go back. I really did have a good time. Um, big culture shock living in St. Louis. <laughs> hmm. I uh, imagine. Hearing gunshots every night. <laughs> Crazy. And, you know, they send you on excursions or they send guys to different places on excursions. A lot of the time, to the United States, I think the most famous excursion that really you can think of was probably great Muda when years ago they sent Muda here. Yeah. You know, he left, he left his imprint. So they're always sending guys. I feel like that they have a, a, you know, well thought of, I feel like they send them on an excursion to the United States. Yeah. Well, that's what, uh, it's, it's what they call the graduation uh, period for, for anybody who starts with New Japan. And, uh, 
you do your, your young boy style and then when you debut you you kind of like a princess you do all the young lion stuff and then when they think you're ready then they send you minimum two years but i was the exception and they gave me one year hmm. which is good because obviously better suited i think uh, for over here but with new japan kind of expanding globally and obviously they announced a couple g1 i guess it's really pre g1 matches in los angeles california are you coming over with you know because a lot of times they come over here for our wage or they come over here for shows and you're not a part of that crew are you going to be coming to the united states um i'm hoping so um i think uh Bullet Club is going to be a, a big factor in, in the global globalization of, of uh, New Japan. So hopefully, uh, I ha- I've heard through the grapevine that I will be on the show, but it hasn't been confirmed. And But I, I am looking forward to um, coming to America and working there again. Now, you know, you come back from your excursion. I'm forward, fast-forwarding just a little bit here. You come back as a heel. You go from, you know, King Valet to Bad Luck Valet. You know, and you come back as uh, basically Prince Devitt's bouncer, so to speak. But where does the name come from? Where did where, you kind of get that inspiration from? Oh, the Bad Luck. Uh, <laughs> the Bad Luck, um, one of the boys uh, came up with. Um, they really needed a, a big-time monster heel. And uh, at, at the time, I, I was still going to go with King Fale, but uh, uh, one of the boys said it was still too um, babyface. Hmm. So what they wanted was a monster. And uh, the book, I said, hey, go with that name, you know, <laughs> and, which means uh, whoever comes in front of me is going to get bad luck. Hmm. And it and worked, you know, in the first couple of years. Always have some pretty good nicknames. Obviously, King is a good one, Bad Luck, and then the Underbosses is probably the best yeah. one. I love those nicknames. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, you know, you're the bouncer of Prince Devitt, and that's kind of how you reintroduce yourself. So what do you kind of think of, obviously, now he's Finn Balor and the WWE, but what are your thoughts on Devitt? Oh, it's just, I've never met anybody so uh, motivated to get to where he wants to be. Um you know, when he left the Bullet Club, I knew he was going to go there and make it. It was You can tell by the way he looks, you know, the way he does his workouts, his diets. So disciplined, man, this guy. I wish I had his discipline. <laughs> Maybe I'd have abs like he does. You know? But uh, he's doing great. I'm, I'm happy for, for him. I'm happy to see where he is right now. And, uh, you know, keep an eye out. In the future, he's, he's still not... Uh, where he is, he's still not where he wants to be right now. So he's going to get there. Absolutely. Sky's a limit for him, obviously. And injuries kind of putting him on the sideline right now. But he'll be back, and he'll be back stronger than ever. But you take yourself, you take Prince David, you take Tamatanga, who's a, definitely a rising, rising star. And then at, the, at that time, Carl Anderson, and you yep. end up forming a little thing called the Bullet Club. How did that <laughs> How did the original Bullet Club kind of come together? Because, you know, everyone knows the current Bullet Club, but how did the original come together with you four? Yeah, um, it, it started with, uh, you know, um, me being in America and uh, and David was, was was in Japan. 
and when they uh, decided to uh, go the heel, heel and heavyweight side for him, they needed somebody to uh, help him get there. So I was more than happy to to be part of it when they offered the position. I, I said straight away, I'd do it. And then you had Tama and and Carl uh, Anderson. But the the truth was, even before it started, it was, we were always known as the Dojo Boys, and we all lived at the Dojo and with all. We were the only foreigners who were there, uh, 100% of the touring time. And I think the bookers saw how close we were and how how much we clicked during matches. It was only natural just to uh, you know put, put us together and, and see how it went. <laughs> Watching the evolution of the Bullet Club, obviously over the last couple of years, has been great. But you know, with that original guys. You know, you're basically kind of doing an NWO tribute, if you will. You guys are getting over huge. You're doing the, you know, the uh, the sign, if you will, of the NWO. Whose idea was kind of, you know, doing the sign, doing the attitude, almost NWO-esque? <laughs> well, uh, I was started, um, you know, we, we were there in Japan just enjoying life. We were enjoying our matches, and we were just doing whatever we wanted to, un- unless, you know, unless the, the office steps in and says you can't do that. So just playing around, I think it was Prince David and Carl Anderson, even before we started the Bullet Club, uh, maybe a tour before I got there, you know, they threw up the two sweet sign after one of their matches. And then when we all got together, it just, you know, when we all, uh, when we got Tama and uh, Anderson to join me and the uh, and David in the ring, we all looked each other, looked at each other, and said, "Let's throw it up." And then it just blew up again from there. <laughs> you know, it was just it was just a show of respect to the guys who were, who came before us, and uh, for the NWO, you know, who who we all loved and uh, admired, and it was just a tri- tribute to them. But when we did it, it just you know we had so much fun. We kept doing it, doing it, and then there you go. It's it's back popular again hmm. is it kind of cool when you get a guy like kevin nash who i guess whoever was interviewing him at that time was i guess trying to say that he didn't like the bullet club because they were doing that symbol but to get him and saying oh it's awesome and have you know basically scott hall saying it's awesome that they love the tribute oh. yeah well I've, I've never met him yet but uh, he is one of my favorite wrestlers and hmm. uh man when i heard him saying that uh, it was it was really a uh, you know, I was, I was happy to hear that, and you know, I didn't. I was happy he they didn't like, uh, you know, put it down or anything. It was just a sign of respect, and and for them to see it that way as well, uh, I was glad. And as the Bullet Club was rolling on, and you you're getting over, and they're really starting to pick up steam. Market Bay, he started a few with him. The Unchained uh, Gorilla, you know, the awesome, yeah. you know, the awesome guy that he is. And you started feuding with him. Yeah. You had the big Tokyo Dome match. What was it like working with him? Totally, almost underrated in the grand scheme of, of the uh, the Japanese legend. Yeah, um, that guy, um, he's probably the, the old, the, the most old school guy at uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. He, he treats everything old school and 
and you have to earn your way to get his respect. And for me, uh, getting to a position as quick as I did, he didn't see it as a, as a good thing. But uh, it wasn't until uh, the feud started, I uh, remember, you know, I, I felt the attitude, I felt the uh, uh, him not liking how things were going. But uh, after that Tokyo Dome uh, show, a match we had, uh, he totally changed towards me. He, he understood uh, that I can't hang with the top guys, and and uh, he showed me respect after that. Hmm. That is great to earn a guy like that's respect. Obviously, like you said, he's an old school guy, but he's one of those yep. ultimate over guys. Like he's always over with that crowd. They always show him respect. So once you get his respect, you know you're going to get the crowd's respect as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, when I really started, I mean, I noticed you because obviously you're a you know, huge, intimidating guy and you're in the Bullet Club. But when I really took notice of you, the New Japan Cup final, you're feuding or you're wrestling Nakamura, he ends up beating you. But then you get the rematch with Shinsuke Nakamura at Dominion and you end up beating him for the IWGP Intercontinental title, really cementing yourself as a major player and a main eventer. What was it like winning the IC title, and what was it like getting a feud with a guy like Nakamura, who you know you can count on your hand how many guys are maybe better than him, or, or he's on that list of top guys in the world? Oh man! <laughs> like I said, when I was a young boy or uh, a trainee, he was he was one of the influential guys who uh, came in and taught us how to wrestle and and taught us you know all the kickboxing and grappling. You know, he was there uh, at the dojo teaching us, but when I ended up uh, facing him on a singles match over there, it was, it was, it was an amazing feeling, and I knew that if, uh, if that I had to prove myself, not, not just to uh, everybody, but to him as well. Uh, you know, him being a bigger star as he was, I needed to step up my game and uh, show people that I can hang with those of that level. So, just one of the guys who uh, was very influential in my in my career, and uh, to be able to to uh, beat him for that belt, uh, where he he was the one that um, that took that belt to the next level. You know, he, he took that belt and turned it into the same level as the IWGP. But to take it from him, and uh, man. Can't explain the feeling, man. That that moment uh, when I won, and then all the boys came around. They came in the ring. Uh, they sat me down on a chair, and we, there's a photo that they that we all have, and all the original boys were sit, standing around me. Uh, I got that on a poster on my gym, so I'll never ever forget that. What a moment, really kind of unpredictable in a way, because I kind of didn't see it coming with Nakamura. You know, because he was basically, you know, like you said, he was making that IC title as big as the IWGP world title. So, yeah. you know, how did you feel? Did, did you feel you were finally, you know, main event level after beating him for that title? Uh, yeah, it wasn't that. Uh, it was after the finals at the, the New Japan Cup. That's when I, I, I knew, I told myself, you can do this, you know. Or before the match, I, oh, I kept saying to myself, "You gotta, you gotta step up. You gotta, you gotta do this to prove to everybody that uh, you are one of the top guys." 
And after the New Japan Cup is when I realized, you know what? And and I can I can be one of the guys. You 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 put me in any match, and I'll I'll step up. Definitely. I mean, you proved that time and time again. But right after that, or around this period of time, maybe you know, basically around this time, you get David leaving and obviously going to WWE and signing with NXT first and yada yada yada. But when he he leaves. Did you kind of think that was the end of the Bullet Club, or were you hoping that the faction would stay? Because obviously, then comes AJ Styles, and the Bullet Club blows up even more. Oh no! Um, when he left, I knew, I knew he was going to chase his dreams, but uh, I, I had no doubt that um, at the time we had uh, Carl Anderson. Uh, I had no doubt that to me he was the real leader uh, after David left. Carl um, Anderson, you know, he he stepped up well when 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 David left, and before AJ came. So Carl stepped up and and he, he took the helm and he kept the Bullet Club together. And then, you know, they gave the chance for uh, for AJ to come along. And it's crazy because the Bullet Club was popular, and you kind of think when they lose their leader, when they lose a you know, key component in the group, like losing Devitt, you kind of think maybe you don't know where the group goes from there, but then you had AJ in, arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world, and it just made the group even that much bigger. And then, you know, you're blowing up in Ring of Honor, and then you're seeing Bullet Club shirts everywhere. I mean, the merchandise sales were crazy in pro wrestling tees. I know we're, like, selling out of Bullet Club shirts left and right, and everyone was wearing one. Were you kind of, you know, surprised at all by... The, the way the Bullet Club got over, not only in Japan, but over in the States as well. Oh, definitely. I was very surprised. Um, Here, I always say, you know, here was a, a group of guys who wrestled in Japan and never had had a, any TV time in America. How the hell did these guys uh, become known all over the world? Uh, you know, it was very surprising. But uh, I do credit um, social media. You know, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and what, and, and so on. But it wasn't wasn't um, until everybody, like uh, the young bucks, we had uh, Luke Gallows, and then we have AJ. When they came along, and then we all got together, and and that's when things blew up because everybody had their own following. But then we decided to do everything together. Like uh, if you get a shirt, we all were. You know, that's that's why the Bullet Club uh, shirt became so famous. Is because we all got together and wore the same shirt in every single match. Took photos, put it up on on every uh, social media uh, outlet we could, and I think that's how it blew up so so big. I remember going to a couple of shows. I mean, here obviously here in the states, whether it be New York or Pennsylvania or wherever. And I would count the Bullet Club shirts, and you'd see like 50 shirts, which is a lot of ton for, for, <laughs> for you know, an indie show. You see so many shirts, like, oh, my God. And then you realize not only is the logo awesome, but people are really, really getting into the attitude. It was almost as if, for a brief moment, there was almost like the NWO was back. <laughs> yeah. That was a good feeling. Yeah, it, it, you know, it had that vibe to it. It had that attitude, and it was just uh, so good. So how much of the of that Bullet Club and, and that attitude, how much is that kind of you guys doing your own thing, and, and how much is that of New Japan kind of pushing you guys in one direction or another? 
No, the, the beauty about um, Alpuka was he, he didn't he knew who um, he knew when he put us together things were gonna go the way that he would he saw them. So I remember he told us, um, you know, it takes him two to three years to get a, a heel faction over, and we did it in in one tour, you know. Hmm. <laughs> so so for him to let us, you know, do what we want. So the attitude thing came came naturally. We we were tired of just being the young the jet the foreigners who weren't weren't being treated like all the Japanese. So we came out there and just did you know the same thing. We we did what we wanted and we wore what we wanted. You know we said what we wanted, and uh, it wasn't until you know if if the the if the office came and said oh you shouldn't say that. Oh, you shouldn't wear that. You shouldn't do that. Then we'd stop it. But uh, until that, until then, we were we were open to do anything we wanted. Hmm. That's awesome, man. Kind of free reign by the Booker, who's smartly knowing that you guys are all professional and you know what you're doing, and you can kind of take it in the direction he wants you to take it without actually having to beat you guys over the head with it, right? Yeah. Cool stuff, and obviously. One big thing with New Japan, Bull Club aside, the G1 Climax tournament, legendary tournament. You're in there uh, a couple years ago in one of the greatest ones ever. I mean, it seems like each year it pops up as one of the greatest ones ever. But a couple years ago, you're wrestling Nakamura, you know, you're wrestling Okada. You had a couple, uh, eventually a couple wins over Okada. So what's it like yeah. competing in that legendary G1 Climax tournament? <laughs> I think I think that was my first one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, of course. I think uh, was AJ in the same one or yes, that w- that was when he was going on that tear of every match that he was in was like uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I remember that. Just oh man, you know, like like I said earlier, you know, every match in, in the big shows or every every main event or G one or or uh, big big show. I, ha- I I always tell myself I need to step up. You know I can't have people seeing me as just this big, fat, ugly <laughs> wrestler who can't do anything. You know, and and I had to prove I, I have to prove myself because people don't see me as, as somebody who can hang with with, with Okada or, or Nakamura or or AJ or. So I had to, every match, I had to step up, you know, show my speed, uh, show my uh, explosiveness. And it goes back to, to my rugby days, you know, and, you know, I, I move when I need to. You know, if you tell me to, to get on the top rope and do a, a, a suplex from there, I'll do it. But, I, you know, I, I'll do a, a flip. I'll do all these things. I can do all these things, but uh, it's not needed. Uh, I only pull these things out when I when I need to uh, remind people that I can do all this stuff, or I can hang with the top guys. And you end up getting a pretty key win over Okada, who is obviously the new ace of New Japan, kind of the, the new guy, and obviously, arguably, the best wrestler in the world. I know a lot of people were singing Kenny Omega's praises after Wrestle Kingdom this year, but you know, everyone, I think, seems to forget that Okada is, you know, the, the master, the ace. He's the guy that, uh, you know, the other part of that match, and he's probably 
best guy going, but what's it like getting a win over him and wrestling him? Because he might be the smoothest guy in the ring that I've ever seen. Yeah, to me, it's he 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 is uh, one of those guys on top. But um, I do for for me, I believe uh, he's on the same level as Nakamura, uh, Tanahashi, AJ, uh, Kenny, all these guys, you know, and Carl uh, uh, Anderson. You know, it, it's not about um, it's not about how you wrestle, and it's about how you wrestle against the guy that's facing you. And uh, if you're able to adapt and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, win against somebody who's not uh, the way wrestles, who doesn't wrestle the way you do, that's to me uh, shows how, how good of a wrestler you are. And uh, I believe, personally, I believe Tanahashi uh, is the best wrestler in the world. Um, just seeing him for all these years, uh, take on every every type of wrestler and uh, making it making it a great match. To me, that's a, that's he's the number one wrestler in the world. The ace, the real ace, uh, Tanahashi is amazing. And <laughs> the next year at G One Climax Twenty Five, you end up fighting Tanahashi. You end up kind of getting a, a win over him. You get end up with a few with Tanahashi. What do you think about that when you really think about it? Because that's that's we mentioned kind of having the stamp with the win over Nakamura or getting the win over Okada. But what about getting that win over the ace? That kind of is, is really telling of, of what they you know what they think of you and where they want to go with you. Yeah, um, like yeah, I, I had the uh, the win over Nakamura and then Okada, but when I got the win over Tanashi, that's what cemented. Um, the way I, what I thought about myself, you know, um, I always thought I could hang with these guys. I always thought I was, I was one of these top guys, and you know, a lot of people don't see it that way. But to me, when when I got the wins over specifically those three guys, uh, told me that I am one of the best in the company. And it's pretty crazy when you really look at it. You really think about it. And it's just awesome when you really you know, look deep at it. You have wins over Okada, Tanahashi, Nakamura, arguably three of the greatest ever, and obviously three of the best at one point in New Japan, three of the greatest workers. Like you said, it kind of cements yourself. But when you really think about it, it's kind of surreal, right, to have have wins over those guys and really kind of put your you know, stamp on where you are in the wrestling business? Yeah. For me, it's... You know, it's how what I think. It's what I what I feel. Um, I know a lot of people, uh, especially fans on Twitter and all that, sh- <laughs> and they're telling me how shit I am. Uh, but I always tell them, hey, that's what you guys think. I think I'm better than all these guys, and that's why I am where I am. <laughs> they, uh, you're not the only one. They, I seem like they don't really have a lot of positive things to say about any wrestler. Which is really weird. So it's almost like, why are they watching wrestling? Why are they into it if they're going to be so negative? <laughs> I don't mind the uh, criticism. It's um, you know, it, uh, it motivates me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like playing that heel role? Not only uh, like you know with New Japan, but almost on Twitter as well. Do you like playing the heel? Uh, I, I like playing 
around is uh, on, on outside of wrestling. I like playing the heel jokingly, <laughs> hmm. but uh, in wrestling, uh, I love being the heel. You know, I get to do what I, I want to. You know, I get to um, show what I really want to say and all that stuff. But um, yeah, in real life, um, you know, I'm, I'm more of a positive guy. Uh, I like uh, inspiring people and uh, uh, helping others to get to where they are. And because uh, I really do believe uh, it was the type of motivation I needed to uh, get to where I am right now. And that's turning the neg negativity into, into something positive. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. And think about the run in New Japan as I continue on a little bit here. You end up winning the, the six-man never title with Tamatanga and uh, Yujiro Takahashi. But then New Japan Cup 2016 rolls around. You get another win over Tanahashi. When you're in there with Tanahashi, he, I believe he had this quote not that long ago. It's almost, he forget what he said. It was I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He was saying kind of when you're in there with somebody else, it's almost like McDonald's. But when you're in there with him, he can turn it into like a filet mignon. Is that kind of like when you're in there with him, you kind of get that sense he's kind of the general? Oh, for sure. I truly believe that. You can feel it, you know. <laughs> when you're in there, it's meant to be a really, oh, man, this, this match is going to be a, 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 an amazing match. But when the bell goes off, you can just see it. You see his aura, you know, he's coming. And then you're still seeing this aura. And, and you're, you're trying to concentrate on that doing this match but then you're like man I can't believe this guy he's, he's actually in here with me <laughs> hmm. true that guy can turn anything yeah. to blame in your <laughs> hmm. he's awesome definitely one of the best of all time I was curious about another guy you worked with a guy Jin obviously he's from uh, the good old Canada but Michael Elgin almost a guy who has freakish strength. He's a big guy like yourself, obviously not as big, but what are your thoughts on working with Michael Elgin? Um, uh, I think I had one match against him. Yes. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I had a good match with him, but at the same time, I don't think I could do the same uh, type of match again or or their, their variation of matches with him. To me, it seems like he's um, uh, his style is very different from from uh, from from everybody else. Uh, like I said, if you compare him to Tanahashi uh, or, or Okada, you know the type of match these guys will adapt to uh, to work and do a great match with their with their opponents, but uh, um, no, I, I still haven't had enough uh, match experience with with uh, Michael Elgin to to really comment on how you know how things are with him. Gotcha. And it feels like with New Japan, like I said about the G1. Obviously, you know we talked about 2014, 2015, but then 2016 G1. Every year, somehow it tops the last year and it's almost impossible <laughs> to even kind of comprehend that but you know you beat Okada this year which is awesome again that you're able to you know be basically a top dog and the champion but also get in there with a guy who's an absolute legend in Japan as far as pro wrestling no is concerned and a guy like Marafuji did you enjoy wrestling Marafuji? Oh yeah man um, I'll never forget that match as well um, 
you know, he kneed me in the head so many times. <laughs> I'll never forget it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, another ace from Japan and uh, just amazing how he moves. Now, with you and kind of obviously being a gaijin and, you know, you're with the Bullet Club, how do you feel about kind of carrying that legacy of the gaijin in New Japan with yourself being a big man? Think about, like, a guy like Stan Hansen, Steiner Brothers, Big Van Vader, uh, Bam and Bigelow to a certain extent. How do you, you know, how do you kind of feel about almost carrying that torch? Oh, uh, it's always been on the back of my mind. Um, you know, when I first started there, all these big gaijin names were everywhere, you know, and uh, you, you never forget, but it, it's always on the back of my mind and uh, I always want to uh, end up being on the same level as these guys. And, uh, you know, this, all these years with the Bullet Club, um, I hopefully in the future people will remember me as one of those guys, you know, one of those uh, 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 New Japan gaijins that, that made an impact. And maybe even more important to you, maybe I'm wrong, but carrying that Tongan torch as well, like guys like Haku, obviously Tamatanga, and Tonga Lo, obviously their father, and even a guy like Barbarian. But how do you feel about carrying that torch as well? Because that seems like a pretty heavy torch to be carrying around. Oh, that's oh, for sure. That's another another great um, uh, legacy. Uh, King Haku and, and Barbarian. And I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Haku for the first time at our show in New Zealand, and uh, he told me the same thing. You know, he was brought up, uh, he was uh, mentored by uh, Peter Maivea and uh, Afa and, and the Samoan boys, and he had to prove himself. He had to show them that he can carry that torch. And uh, when I met him last year, I, you know, I've always uh, respected and followed uh, his career and and uh, it was always there. And I wanted to be like these guys. But when I met him uh, last year, I had to. Uh, I, I knew I, and told myself that I needed to carry this torch for these guys too. Pretty awesome lineage of guys with those Samoans or you know, guys with the Tonga yes. background. Just think of those guys and, and kind of you falling in line with it. Pretty cool, right, to be uh, associated with all those awesome names? Oh yeah, um, you know, like like I said, you, you hope to one day uh, be remembered as uh, one of the guys on those on that level. You know, you mentioned meeting him in New Zealand, and obviously there was a bit of wrestling going on in New Zealand. But how is the wrestling scene over there? It seems like it's you know few and far between over there in New Zealand. Yeah, the wrestling scene it's been around uh, since since the early 2000s, but uh, unfortunately it's at a smaller level. And uh, when I started uh, getting to a good position in New Japan, uh, that's when I started thinking about bringing uh, New Zealand wrestling level to a national, international level, um, uh, which is why I, I did bring uh, uh, New Japan to New Zealand last year, and I'm hoping to do more. But at the same time, I, I, I'm trying to, to build New Zealand as a, a powerhouse in wrestling, uh, not because we're good wrestlers, but because 
the, the size of these guys here. Uh, when I'm here in New Zealand, I'm, I'm regarded as an average sized person. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so everybody here are giants. And, and I just want to take uh, advantage of, of using these uh, massive people. <laughs> That's a uh, scary sight, and it's kind of crazy to think that you're considered average size, given your, uh, you know, your yeah. huge stature. <laughs> it's definitely scary. So what is with the Fale Dojo over there? Are you training a lot of wrestlers, or are you doing other stuff, like almost like New Japan style, where you're training all aspects of fighting? Okay, so uh, Fale Dojo has been uh, open for the last six months, but we officially opened... Uh, a week and a half ago and uh, all information on faledojo.com and uh, what what faledojo is about is uh, like I said I wanted to to uh, grab all these these giants over here in New Zealand and teach them how to how to, how to wrestle Japanese style um, faledojo is also an affiliate of New Japan Pro Wrestling so I do have uh, permission to use the New Japan uh, type of training and and uh, connections over here. So I've, I've trained a couple of guys already. Uh, you may see them in, in uh, New Japan as uh, Henare, uh, young lion, and uh, there's another kid, the youngest son of King Haku, which he came and trained with me for a little bit before he debuted on my show. And now he's over there in, with New Japan as a young boy. Um, so what, what we're aiming at doing is turning Fale Dojo into a uh, uh, how do you say kind of like kind of like um, WWE's uh, uh, what do you call performance Hello. center NXT performance center yep yeah so that's my goal here in New Zealand is I want to turn Fale Dojo as the uh, 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 training place for foreigners who want to get to Japan. Wow, pretty awesome and a, and a kind of, you know, bold move and it's actually really cool. And I saw a picture of Haku's youngest son and he is actually, I believe he's bigger than you. I mean, he's huge. Yeah, he's 6'8". <laughs> <laughs> uh, the beauty about this kid, you got to keep an eye out for him. He's, um, man, he, he's just like me. Uh, if not even better, he's got the speed He's got the power, and now he's got the, the size, and he's got the looks. But, and I also believe he's going to, when his, when he gets used to his uh, charisma, then uh, we've got, we got a superstar in the making there. Hmm. Definitely. Now, this is kind of a hard question to answer. I don't even know if there is a right answer, but with the Bullet Club, I'm always curious, because obviously you were there since the beginning, one of the originators. Is there a better Bullet Club leader? Is it Devitt, AJ, or Kenny Omega? Or maybe even, like you said, maybe because you kind of consider Carl Anderson. Is there, like, the top leader of Bullet Club thinking about it? Or is it almost one of those questions where it's too tough to answer? You know, the leaders, um, it's funny. To me, there, there was, there's never a leader in, in the Bullet Club. And hmm. for me, there's, there's always the, the, the guy that, the, that everybody portrays or sees as the leader, but for me, uh, there was I never really felt anybody uh, in the group was was the leader. Uh, the only person I thought who was 
the guy who looked after us and and steered us in the right place was Carl Anderson, you know. And uh, to me, the whole reason why the Bullet Club did blow up was even when AJ was there, nobody, AJ never ever claimed he was the leader. So, mm. you know, when, when, you know, when you're all pushing each other, uh, that's when, you know, everybody succeeds. And uh, I truly believe there is no leader in the Bull Club. Everybody's a leader and everybody uh, grows together. Hmm. Very, very true. And it always, your Bull Club, no matter when you think they're kind of, down and out, they always keep, seem to keep growing and growing. Like when Devin left, AJ, you know, now Omega. With Omega, have you been following a lot of that drama of him supposedly leaving? And then I guess he just recently resigned. Have you been kind of following that drama at all with Kenny Omega? Ah, uh, no, I haven't. But uh, you know, if just like uh, David, you know, um, you know, if, if if his heart told him he 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 needed to go to WWE or wherever. And I would have been happy for him if he if he's staying. Then I'm I'm still happy for him. You know, that's 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 life. You know, if, if uh, your top guy is being taken away, like uh, we we've had a couple of times, then mm-hmm, uh, yeah. you know, then we we either step up or we bring somebody else to take over this spot. So uh, nothing nothing um, nothing uh, wrong with whatever decision he made. Absolutely, definitely. And as I start to wind it down a bit here, we talked about Okada, you wrestling him. We talked about Tanahashi, Nakamura, Makabe, all these you know giant legends and huge names in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Do you have a favorite match or maybe a couple of favorite matches in your career? Um, there's a, yeah. <laughs> um, there is one, uh, my second match ever was, I think, I think it was my second match ever, and that was my single match against uh, Carl Anderson in uh, Hiroshima, Japan. And I remember before we had the match, he would, uh, you know, the, when I debuted, they didn't teach me how to wrestle until a couple of weeks before they announced my debut. So I was still learning how to wrestle, and uh, it was my second match ever against Carl Anderson. And uh, at the backstage, um, I had a uh, uh, Tensai, uh, Prince, Al- Prince Albert. Yep. So I had him uh, um, backstage uh, telling me how to do headbutts. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he'll show me how to do headbutts the safe way. And, and I, I showed him I got it. And then we had the, sh- the match. Uh, man, the crowd loved it. But then we ended up... Um, a spot in the corner, and uh, I was giving Carl uh, Anderson a headbutt, and uh, that first one just split him open. <laughs> and he had blood, blood everywhere, and I'll never forget that match. <laughs> hmm. Awesome. And do you have any kind of favorite opponents where it's just a guy where you had the best chemistry with the guy? It's just almost a night off. It's easy to get in there with. Um, I'd say, let's see. I'd say, uh, Tanahashi. Hmm. Tanahashi. Can't go and wrong I, with his. No, like I said, the best wrestler in the world. Doesn't matter who he faces, he'll, he'll turn into, uh, 
Un scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> now, is there anybody out there that you haven't wrestled yet? Somebody that you'd like almost consider a dream match against? Uh, yeah, I've been asked this a couple of times, but um, you know, I, I I've seen uh, uh Wade Barrett. Uh, he's he's not with WWE anymore, but. He was somebody I, I, I saw coming up and uh, always wanted to uh, face him in the ring or, or even better work with him, you know, have him as part of the Bullet Club. So, Wade Barrett, bad, bad news Barrett. Hmm. Right. Now, speaking of WWE, have you ever had any interest in going there? I felt like I, I didn't want to, but I almost had to. Is there any interest in ever going to WWE? Uh, as a younger fella, I did, that was the dream, you know, to get there. But uh, ever since being with New Japan, um, I've kind of lost that dream. But uh, there is, you know, I, I'm never going to say never to it. But if that opportunity ever comes up with the right price, <laughs> hmm. and maybe I'll think about it. You know, it's, it's, there's no uh, full stop, never going to go there. Now, if you can bring out the old crystal ball and look five years down the future, where do you see Bad Luck Valley? Where do you see the underboss in five years? I see the underboss running uh, monthly shows, monthly New Japan shows in Australia, New Zealand, and the South Pacific. With you, kind of, like you said, you want to get more of the organizational part. You want to kind of be more, you know, not only not really behind the scenes, but you said you kind of want to be running more shows and things like that. Can you see yourself kind of on the other side when you retire? Or, you know, I'm talking like years down the road. Can you see yourself almost in that, not booker position, but almost in like a management type position? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I know my body. I know, you know, I'm starting to slow down. I can feel it. Uh, not because I'm not exercising or anything. It's uh, all the stuff I did in rugby is starting to catch up. So, hmm. so I do. I do know, and I do feel like I know when I need to to retire. And and uh, I am uh, passionate about wrestling, so uh, I want to be in, uh, start slowly uh, moving to that position on the other side. Now, one kind of final question here is just basically, where can the folks of the, you know, the fine fans and the fine folks of the two-man power to present, where can they find Bad Luck Valet if they want to reach out and touch you, whether it be social media, whether it be the dojo, wherever it may be, where can they find you? Yeah, um, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, Instagram on at Toxfale, T-O-K-S-F-A-L-E, or you can check out my website, uh, faledojo, F-A-L-E-D-O-J-O dot com. Awesome stuff. Well, it's been a blast. Awesome talking to not only somebody from the Bullet Club, but such a key member, such a key vital role in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and obviously an original Bullet Club. So, Underboss, thank you so much for joining me tonight, and I really appreciate your time. No, thank you very much. Awesome stuff, and uh, maybe you can uh, help me place some bets since you're basically uh, in the future right now. Maybe you can help me 
win some money. <laughs> what do you want to win? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very, very much, Underboss. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks, John. Yep. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.